Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hey, everybody. How's it going? Remember, tomorrow on the Ben Jarofsky Show, it's Oh, What a Week, but also a special we're going to the vault. Hold on. Let me get the vault. This is really cool. This vault, together. A new segment. The Ben Jarofsky Column Chronicle. <laughs> this guy's, oh my God. Get the lion out of there. I forgot about that You're lion. Holy Whoa. the lion in. Who? Hey, you know. Who? All right. Um, but no, hey. Tomorrow on the program, we are going to go all the way back to, who knows, the 80s, the 90s, a long time ago, because Ben was writing articles back then, and columns, as they call them, and uh, the Column Chronicles. We're going re- to go visit a uh, column that Ben wrote however many years ago. I got to go look it up, and I'll have that all ready, but tomorrow on the Ben Jarofsky Show, the Ben Jarofsky Column Chronicles. <laughs> Pretty cool. That is correct. That is really cool. Thank you, Darren. DB. DB has always been a fan. Your Ben Jarofsky Show for Thursday, July 21st is brought to you by SEIU Healthcare, Illinois, Indiana, the Chicago Federation of Labor, the Chicago Teachers Union, and Chicago Reader. ChicagoReader.com for all things there is to know the city of Chicago, where to go, what to do, what to eat, what to drink, what kind of pot to smoke, and so much more, including columns from our very own Ben Jarofsky. Chicago Reader, ChicagoReader.com. And if you want to help out this program, you can. ChicagoReader.com forward slash Jarofsky, J-O-R-A. V is in victory, SKY. It is Thursday, July 21st, and this is the Ben Jarofsky Show. And now your host, Chicago Reader columnist Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Charsky here. We're calling this Under Siege Thursday, and here's why. Because I'm under siege, ladies and gentlemen, everywhere I look, it's coming in left and right and center. Let's just break it down one by one. Number one, the air conditioner doesn't work in my attic. Wasn't much of an air conditioner to begin with. And I don't want to make my problems, like, equate them with the problems of the world, which are hor- horrific. It's just a melting down. I'm like the Wicked Witch and the Wizard of Oz. What a world. What a world. It's the sound of me melting down. Wizard of Oz reference. Don't get that often. How many podcasts, political podcasts, left to center? In the city of Chicago, I've had a Wizard of Oz reference lately. Not many, that's for sure. What else? Uh, my laptop doesn't work. Here, exhibit A, ladies and gentlemen. Hold on now. Let me just show this to you. All right, look. This is the world's bootleggiest laptop. If I open it up, you'll hear a hack sound. We have hacked your laptop. Do not try to turn it off. What else, man? Everybody's got COVID. President Joe Biden, the story broke this morning. Frank, listener Frank, I want to thank you for sending me uh, the text. I was deep, I was focused D on the issues of the day that I'll talk about with our guest, Mark Wallace. 
you know, uh, speed cameras and NASCAR and Trump stuff and all the all the news of the day. And out of nowhere, Frank sent me that uh, text. Joe Biden has COVID. Let's see. Uh, J.B. Pritzker has COVID. Uh, Congressman Benny Thompson has COVID. The uh, Democrat who is leading the January 6th uh, insurrection panel as I speak. They're having another hearing. Uh, and so I'm like, whoa. And, and D, not to make my problems as big as theirs, but tonight I'm going to a function. Tomorrow I'm going to a function. And Saturday I'm going to a wedding. Do I want COVID too? This new strain, D. It's like, like the sequel of COVID too? Because that'll be like, you know, the second time you've had it. Oh, yeah, like Top Gun 2 or something like that. Uh, it's um, the strain. I was just reading about it. It's just incredibly powerful strain. Like, it doesn't matter. Oh, people who had it goes, well, I had it already. I'm immune for like a year. Uh-uh. That's the sound of COVID beating through. You know, oh, I've had a shot. Oh, I've had a shot and that COVID. So, yeah, I feel really, uh, really, really, really <laughs> under siege. Mark Wallace, as I said, oh, will be joining us. We just sent him a text, uh, uh, excuse me, um, an invite to, to bring us on the show. Before we do, I want to talk about the other thing I'm under siege, sort of like a, uh, I don't know, an under siege of illogic. And so, folks, I've talked a lot about the notion, the concept of uh, a false equivalency. Uh, and, uh, you know, I try to main, uh, remain as uh, neutral as I can as I observe what's happening in the world today. Uh, and as a uh, lifelong journalist, I've been a, a journalist in the city of Chicago since 1981. I have battled the Democratic machine. I have fought the Democratic machine in the city of Chicago more than any person in MAGA. I, I know I've done that. All right, so I know Democrats are not pure. But in all my time of watching Democrats in the city of Chicago, I have never seen them attempt to do something on the scale of what Trump. We're going to get into this with our guest, Mark Wallace. We're going to break this down after we're done with the Chicago news. What Trump has done consistently in his attempt to undo democracy in America. So I take it as a very serious existential threat. While I'm capable of knowing that the Democrats can be up to no good. We're going to be talking a little about that from Mark Wallace's perspective of Democrats in the city of Chicago. We're going to start with that. But. I know Mark Wallace would agree with me. As bad as things are in Chicago, we've never quite seen anything on the scale of what Donald Trump and MAGA is trying to do nationwide. Undo an election, throw away election laws, make up a lie about uh, election theft and use it to justify taking away voting rights throughout the country. Mostly of black people, I would say. Throw out the results of black voters in Milwaukee, Detroit, Philadelphia, Miami, uh, and Atlanta in order to guarantee that Donald Trump is victorious. That's what they're trying to do. Never seen anything like it, folks, in my lifetime here in the city of Chicago. So it really irritates me when some moderate professes that they're just disgusted by the extremism on both sides. I'm like, are you kidding me? There, I will now give you state exhibit A to this point. Uh, this is a letter in today's New York Times that I had promised uh, to send my distinguished guest, Mark Wallace, and I broke that promise by forgetting to send it to him. Hope he doesn't hold it against me. So this is a letter to the editor of today's New York Times, uh, and here's how it goes. Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger, please start a third party. 
As a lifelong Democrat, I would vote for either of you in a heartbeat for one reason that should be the criterion for any candidate, character. They have both sacrificed everything for the January 6th hearings. I think that the Democratic and Republican parties have been hijacked by extremists. Whom can I vote for in 2022 or 2024? Should I sit it out? It would be the first time. A woman named Carol in New York. Now, I am of the lefty persuasion. I'm a leftist. My guest, Mark Wallace, has defined himself as a liberal. So I guess he's a little more conservative than me in many issues. But the point is, there is nobody like me with power in the Democratic Party. So I would be the extremist in the Democratic Party. And I'm the guy asking for law and order to be enforced with the theft of the election. Please identify one elected Democratic official who has made an attempt to steal an election. Please identify one elected Democratic official who is so bold and brazen as Trump and his supporters. You can't do that. So this notion that like there's extremists, I who's the most, who's the extremist at the head of the Democratic Party? Joe Biden? Are you kidding me? He's Mr. Moderate. He was elected by the Democrats for the sole purpose of having a bland moderate at the head of the party to defeat Trump. Because the notion was you needed a bland moderate. I, I, uh, I get along with everybody moderate to defeat Donald Trump. That was the reason Democrats selected him in the first place. And that's what he's been. Much to the chagrin of Democratic voters who wish he would stand up on issues. So I'm like, what kind of weird tripped out universe is Carol and other people like her living in when they say that the Democrats have been overtaken by extremists and that she doesn't feel at home in the system because it's extremists at either party? I, I find this baffling. You guys take a look at the insurrectionists who overtake the Capitol, have declared themselves loyal subjects to the emperor, Donald Trump, and will support him no matter what he does. And Mark Wallace and I are going to be talking about some of his latest antics in Wisconsin. Don't, don't care what laws you violate. And you're equating them with Joe Biden? Kamala Harris? <laughs> Cory Booker, Richard Durr. I'm trying to think of who is the extremist in the Democratic Party that has gotten you so frightened, Carol, that you may want to sit out the election. Because somehow or other, they're as frightening as people who have besieged the Capitol. So this issue, this false equivalency in America today is what I call the illogic. I feel under siege by illogic. Not just with MAGA. Well, MAGA is just blatantly hypocritical and inconsistent. But the, illog- the illogic of my so-called allies in the fight to defeat MAGA. All right, I got that off my chest. I'm going to bring on Mark Wallace, activist, radio personality, businessman, extraordinary. And I did not know this till we had a conversation today. A great roller skater. Did not know that until I had this conversation with Mark Wallace today. And Mark, first of all, I want to thank you for taking the time uh, to come on the show. 
and um, uh, this is a rough time for you and your family. I know I want to give my uh, condolences to you. Your mom passed uh, not too long ago. So thank you very much in the midst of the morning uh, to make time for my humble little podcast. Well, thank you very much, Ben. And thank you for having me uh, on your podcast. That's always a privilege. Uh, yes. Uh, so we have a lot, I have a whole agenda of things I want to talk to you about. I sent you the cheat sheet. I hope we make it through, uh, the agenda. Uh, I, uh, just as a general start, let's get you to re- your reaction to, uh, the letter I just read, uh, before we moved to Chicago and the notion of false equivalency. Um, I don't know, Mark, uh, like I said, I feel under siege by illogic. Do you think I'm being too extreme in my reaction? Uh, to just one letter in the editor at the New York Times. Well, for, first of all, let me make a clarification there. Uh, <clears throat> I don't think that I'm more conservative than you on issues. I think I'm probably even more to the left <laughs> uh, 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 on on issues because I pattern my politics in terms of liberalism after uh, would equate that or to Jesus Christ, who I think is the consummate and ultimate liberal. Um, and I find it odd and funny that the conservatives like to uh, poise themselves as the family value people of the country and uh, and that uh, they are the followers of Christianity and blah, blah, blah. Well, Christ was uh, an extreme liberal uh, if you follow Christ and what he did and and uh, how he uh, uh, forgave and, and, and elevated people who did some pretty bad things. So uh, and who he consummate said that we should be providing and taking care of the poor. He never spoke to um, lifting the rich or the powerful. He never used people who were the mitzvahs of society. He always used those people who were the most modest or certainly the most downtrodden. Their names made the book. Uh, so not not the people of the high society. So I am to the left. Okay. So that's very clear. Uh, I, 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 I really sort of uh, despise these labels because I think they do more uh, of, of distracting and somewhat of of uh, divisiveness off of the real issues that we need to be focused on. But there is a difference, right? There, there is a difference between philosophies. Um, and I don't believe that I have any conservative um, uh, people in government that I can support uh, today. And uh, I think I voted one time for a Republican uh, candidate on a state controller or something like that uh, that I voted for when Susanna Mendoza was running because I just could not support her candidacy at the time. And uh, but even though I vote mostly Democratic, I have a problem with uh, the Democrats because I believe they're too conservative. They're not liberal enough, not uh, far enough to the left for me. So, no, I don't think that you're uh, extreme in, in your view against that. I think that we are looking at extremism uh, coming from uh, some people who are extreme. And I'm going to help the Republicans that are, 
call themselves true Republicans by saying these people are not even Republicans. They're just extremists who wants to blow up our system instead of making our system work better. That's my that's a good take. I'm going to avoid a, a, a theological discussion. I'll just say uh, if, if somebody came out preaching the Sermon on the Mount right right, right now, I'd probably get thrown in jail uh, by Donald Trump and the Republican Party. All right, I'll uh, stay away from theology for the moment. Uh, and let's uh, start with the city of Chicago. Uh, I immediately reached out to you yesterday after yesterday's show. Uh, when word broke uh, that uh, the city council uh, had sided with Lori Lightfoot in uh, her, it seems like, year-long dispute with uh, Anthony Beal, Alderman Anthony Beal, the Alderman of the Ninth Ward, over the issue of the threshold at which uh, motorists will be ticketed in the city of Chicago. Uh, he wanted to uh, raise it uh, to 10 miles an hour. She wanted to keep it at 6, where she had put it. Uh, and there was a showdown vote. And she was victorious, and she was very happy with it. And I... I just, the irony, we'll get into all this, the irony of Lori Lightfoot celebrating that victory the day after, the day after she had this press conference in the city of Chicago proclaiming how wonderful she is for bringing NASCAR to the streets of the city of Chicago, which NASCAR is high-speed racing, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, it is so weird and twisted and bizarre. I, I, I was getting ready to ask you, um, I don't know a whole lot about uh, NASCAR racing, but I thought that it was about speeding vehicles, right? <laughs> yeah, it's, that's the gist of it, Mark. And, yes. and they're going to be speeding through downtown Chicago, right? That is correct. Uh, okay. At speeds of 100, up to 120 miles an hour, okay? Wow. Oh, yeah. so they're going to be allowed to go up to 120 miles an hour and we don't even want people to travel at 26 miles an hour. Yes. Yes. Okay. And in addition to that, uh, and this is uh, just uh, a more mixed message, uh, the city council was very proud of the fact uh, that they voted to crack down on uh, people who do uh, drag racing, illegal drag racing in the loop. That's become quite a popular sport of sorts. Uh, drag racing in the city of Chicago, Mark, it's a whole other story. And back in the 80s when I first moved here, there was a subculture back then of drag racing. Right. Uh, and uh, so this notion of fast and furious in a car, uh, whether it's a drag racer or NASCAR or, you know, uh, any kind of high speed uh, chasing is just like it's part of this speeding culture that the city is trying to combat on one hand, and then they go and promote NASCAR. And well, I'm, they're not really, they're, yeah, they're not really trying to combat it. Go ahead. People, quite honestly, they're not trying to combat it. If you're trying to combat it, uh, think about this. We have 19,500 communities of cities and villages in the United States of America. Less than 1%, I think it's 0.007% of those, use some type of electronic device for um, traffic enforcement. So if this thing was really so successful at helping to improve traffic safety, we would have a lot more than uh, 350 you know, different villages or cities using uh, this device. This is nothing more than... Uh, a device that is to generate revenue um, disguised as safety. But what the city is doing is they are not interested in combating 
the real reckless problems that we do have. Because if you drive around the south side of Chicago and the west side of Chicago, anywhere, and I do a lot of driving, you rarely see a police vehicle on any road. Um, and when you do see them, they are on their way to some sort of gun violence call. But in between the gun shootings and, and the uh, serious violence, you rarely see police officers traveling up and down the road. I always say that if I'm going to have to pay for gasoline in police public vehicles, I want them doing something with that gasoline. But you don't see that. So the city of Chicago is not interested in real safety. If they were interested in real safety, I promise you, the experts who do this stuff every day, that's much smarter than all of us about this, who have made serious recommendations to the city of, as to what to do over the past three decades, mind you, uh, what the city should be doing to improve the design of our streets, uh, the way that our uh, traffic systems work and signage. The city has done little to those recommendations that were done by the Federal Highway Administration, um, Northwestern University, University of uh, Illinois at Chicago, any of those recommendations, the city just has not done. And those were done, those recommendations came from experts, not advocates like me. All right. So the question uh, that I have when it comes to the cameras themselves is uh, the, the notion of the fundamental inequity here. Uh, that so many, so much of the tickets are being paid for by black people. Uh, last I looked, the black population in the city of Chicago was falling, had been falling uh, consistently this century. So why is it, how is it uh, that black people are paying a greater portion of the tickets uh, relative to their population in the city? The reason that that is, is because the cameras are equitably distributed around the city. They're just targeted in very different strategic ways on the south and west sides of Chicago and black and brown communities. On the north side of Chicago, you don't have as many cameras that are placed near high traffic volume areas or leading to highways. On the south side of Chicago and the west side of Chicago, you have cameras that are placed in areas where there are acute high traffic volume areas that will generate higher volumes or violations. So um, they were ingenious and in their distribution so that when you look at the grid of the distribution of the cameras, then it looks like they're, they're, they're spread out kind of evenly when in fact they're really not because there are some communities on the north side that has no cameras in them. There are no communities on the south side that does not have cameras in them. Uh, so, so, and, and, and the cameras on the south side, they are targeted by placing them on areas where they are assured to get a higher traffic violation. So that's why you have two times as many tickets issued on the south and west sides of Chicago than you do on the north side of Chicago. Yeah. And, and I just want to make this clear because uh, I've had guests who've said this. Uh, there are no uh, cameras of this kind uh, in the neighborhood Lincoln Park on the north side. Is that correct? There are no, yeah, there are no speed cameras yeah. in Lincoln Park. There are a couple of red light cameras, but there are no speed cameras in Lincoln Park. Uh, 
Um, and even in two thirds of the, uh, there, there are a third of communities that don't even allow booting in Chicago and none of them are on the South and West sides of Chicago. Wow. I did not know that about the booting. So yeah. are you, t- you telling me that the, the city law prohibits booting in certain neighborhoods? It's codified Correct. in the law. Correct. How, how do you get out of the booting? What is it's like an automatic uh, privilege? An alderman moves not to have booting in his war. I did not know this, uh, Mark. We we, we found it out merely by accident, in as we were in a uh, finance committee hearing, and we were listening to, of course, all of the proposals that were going by, and in Emma Mitz's uh, a committee hearing that we were waiting for another hearing, it came up, and we found out that that actually is a part of the law. So uh, I'm going to ask you the, the crooked letter question, the why question. Uh, and um, I would have my own answer, but I want to hear your answer. So why is it that the city of Chicago has positioned cameras strategically to snare speeders at spots where they're most likely to be speeding in black communities, but they have not simultaneously put those cameras where they can snare motorists who will be most likely to be speeding at this part, at this portion of the roadway in white communities. Well, let me say this. I don't know if it was the uh, intention of that. I don't know that that was a deliberate thing that we're going to do this because these people are black um, and Hispanic. I, I'm not going to go that far. Maybe that wasn't the intended uh, consequences. It just happens to be those are what the results are. So I'm not going to go that far to say that that was an intention uh, on the city of Chicago. Now, why we do have the system that we do have is because of a, of a corrupt agreement between two corrupt people, a public official and a private uh, company, which is why we have the largest red light cameras in Chicago system than any other um, city in the United States of America. We got uh, now 292 red light cameras. We got 92 of them removed. We at one time had 384, but we we got those because John Beals, who was the deputy uh, commissioner at the time, and uh, Karen Finnery, who was the CEO of the red light camera company called Redflex at the time, they made an agreement that for every camera that he could get installed in the city of Chicago, he gets a $1,500 kickback. He ended up getting somewhere north of $2.5 million. So, and uh, there was a scientific study that was done, the first ever, uh, that was done by Texas A&M that found that 40% of the cameras that we have in Chicago should never have been placed in the first place because they were placed at intersections that never had a crash, a single crash, in a 12-month period. So 40% of the cameras that we have, uh, if they worked, should never have been placed in the first place mm-hmm. because they were only supposed to be placed at intersections where they were, quote-unquote, high crashes. So, um, and then on top of that, we have cameras, uh, even on the red light cameras, they were placed at intersections where there are high traffic volume so they can get high traffic violations so they can generate lots of money. Um, so that is, is the reason. I, I don't, um, I don't want to sensationalize it and I don't want to speak um, 
make a, a blanket statement without full proof that it was the intentions for them to do this racially. Um, I, cause I don't know that. And I haven't seen the evidence that proves that, but the results are that that's what's happening. So uh, just to be clear, drawing a distinction between uh, speed cameras and red light cameras, why don't you make that uh, elaborate a bit on that distinction? Right. So red light cameras are cameras that are placed at intersections where there is a traffic device. Mm-hmm. Right. And if you run the red light or you make an illegal turn uh, at a red light camera area or red light intersection where there is a red light camera, you will get a ticket. A speed camera is placed at not intersections, but it is placed in areas that are within one eighth of a mile of a property line of a school or a park. So you have what is called park safety zones and you have school safety zones. And so uh, the law is written that the city can place a camera within one eighth of a mile to the property line. So it doesn't have to be near the park. It just has to be within an eighth of a mile of a park. It can be three blocks away as long as it's in one eighth of a mile of the property line. And we have many of those cameras that you can't see a school or you can't see a park, but technically it's within the law. So uh, that's the distinction between a speed camera and a red light camera. Got it. Very good. Uh, thank you for that. That's just the basics. Uh, now, uh, is the distribution of speed cameras uh, as uneven uh, as the distribution of red light cameras in terms of the racial breakdown of the city? No, they're not. That's that's it, it is they, they're the distribution is pretty much even except how they are targeted. They're targeted in areas on the south and west side of Chicago where they get high traffic counts. And they're targeted in areas based on studies that uh, cameras are more likely to be near highways and expressways on the south and west sides of Chicago versus on the north side. So you could have a camera on the north side where you have like no traffic volume or very low traffic volume. So you're gonna get very low traffic violations. So that is the way that it's how they're targeted, not how they're distributed. Okay. So I am making a proposal here. Uh, And when I make finish this proposal, you'll know why somebody like me would never be anywhere allowed uh, in the halls of power. So let's just make it even then. Let's just put as many speed cameras uh, in high speed areas uh, on the north side as you have on the west and south sides. So in other words, make the people of Lincoln Park and Lakeview be subjected to the same kinds of uh, traffic oversight as people, let's say, and I'm just throwing out some neighborhoods, Woodlawn and Englewood. Uh, So that you even get more money. If your purpose part is to make money, you get more money. Uh, You'd just be getting it from white people. Uh, and if your purpose is to enforce, uh, have safety, which is what many people say we need this for, you get more safety. There's a lot of bicyclists on the north side of Chicago. Uh, 
who would be safer, presumably because of these speed cameras. So in your humble opinion, why has Mayor Lori Lightfoot not made a move to equitably distribute these speed cameras so that the north side has many as the south and west sides? Uh, Because her gay white friends uh, and those white people on the north side would boot her out of office and out of Chicago. She wouldn't even be able to go back to uh, her job at that law firm if she did that. I Listen, I wish they would put a bunch of uh, speed cameras over there. Those white folks on the north side would run her out of town uh, because they would be paying uh, traffic tax bills at, um, you know, very high rate numbers. Now, let me just say this, uh, because it is obvious that I'm a black man, um, but this is not a black issue. This is a citywide issue. I know people on the north side that I talk to, people on the northwest side that I talk to, uh, because I've demonstrated all over the city. We don't just demonstrate on the south and west side of Chicago. We demonstrate all over the city. And um, there are as many white folks who know and hate this system as there are black folks who know and hate this system. So this is not a black or white issue. This is a citywide problem that there are white folks that, uh, you know, talk to us and thank us for fighting, fighting this issue that uh, don't like this issue and know that it's an absolute fraud because it's just another form of taxing. And the mayor is so uh, arrogant that she slipped up and said a couple of weeks ago or a week ago that, well, you know, if we don't keep this in place, you know, they'll have to become another uh, property tax. Well, the property tax is coming anyway. They're going to do it to us anyway. Right. So uh, it's not like our taxes are going to stay the same or go down. Yeah. Uh, we could have a whole conversation about property taxes. Mark Wallace also knows a little bit about real estate in Chicago. We'll hold back on a property tax discussion for the moment. Uh, I'm going to push back on you a little bit and what you said. Uh, I completely agree with the central point that there's opposition to speed light cameras in white neighborhoods and black neighborhoods. Uh, but I would say that the issue of equity and fairness uh, is in the parlance of Chicago, a black issue. Uh, well, I agree. Of, yeah. Okay. So white people might not like to get a speeding ticket. You know, they may be join Mark Wallace uh, in uh, his revolt against this system because they don't want to get a speeding ticket, but they're not going to join Mark Wallace. If uh, your lead point is how unfair this program is. So if I, if I were the mayor and I said, you know, I listen to this debate and what I'm hearing is we need more safety in the city of Chicago. Uh, and so what I'm going to do is put as many speed light cameras on white neighborhoods as we have black neighborhoods. I would lose all my, all my white support. Mark, I'm just speaking from my heart here. This is just reality of race relations in the city of Chicago. I believe I have no proof of this. This is just my sense. If you feel free to vehemently disagree with me that they, when they put this system together, they go, well, white people got more clout and they'll speak out. So we can't put too many over there. But black people are just so used to being beat down in this city, we get away with it. Now, that's my humble opinion. You may, here's your opportunity to go, Ben, you're outrageous and everything you said is wrong. Go. No, I, I don't think that you're outrageous. I think that there are some level of truth to that. I think there's some level of truth to that. And, uh, and, and of course, history, you know, has proven that to us, right? We, 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 we can look uh, at history and see where things like that uh, are done. I think um, 
I think it is very true. I think you're very true that if they tried to do this uh, at the uh, the level that they've done in black communities, white people would absolutely just revolt uh, to this. There is no question about it. And in fact, white people have revolted because guess what? There's only one city in the entire state of Illinois that is allowed to have speed cameras. Now, they wanted to have this as a state law to have speed cameras everywhere. The state representatives in the, in the, in the uh, General Assembly said, we will vote no against this. The only way that they were able to do this is they had to parson out a municipality that had one million residents or more, and that is the only city that has a million, is the city of Chicago. That was the only way that they were able to get the General Assembly to even vote to support it back then. So the white folks revolted before. <laughs> uh, they, uh, oh, my God. What a system. <laughs> Oh, Lord, you guys, sometimes you just got to laugh, Mark Wallace, because you cry. Listen, I, that, this is a tangent. I saw firsthand the ways that officials in Chicago market things to white people and market things to black people when I was following obsessively the Olympics. And I went to community meetings on the northwest side of Chicago, predominantly white areas, where they're talking about the impact. And it would be like a serious discussion of the impact of what this Olympics would have on your tax bill. In other words, they treated the people in the audience like they were tax paying, educated, civilized citizens of the city of Chicago, grownups. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now everything they told them was BS, but that's how they treated them. Then I went to the presentation of South shore cultural center. They didn't have experts on taxes. They had a little video of Barack and Michelle Obama, talking about how the beautiful and wonderful this would be for the South side and my dream that I had with my father. This is right. my dream. that happened. Then they brought on all these Olympic champions from the past to talk about I'm from Chicago and this would be my dream to have the Olympics to walk in with. And I'm like, wait, don't black people pay taxes too? Aren't there a lot of black homeowners on the South? I know I, I passed a lot of homes when driving from the North side to the South side. Uh, driving under the speed limit, I want to tell you, Mark Wallace, I did not violate the speed limit. So there is absolutely, it's embedded in the mindset of the people that run this city. Like two separate Chicagos, one way of dealing with white people, one way dealing with black people. I have seen this. I've lived here since 1981, Mark Wallace. I've seen it for virtually every day of my life. Do you Have I said anything that you disagree with just there? No. And guess what? They have indoctrinated black people who are elected to uh, public office to treat black people differently than they treat white people in this uh, in this city. So uh, while we have more black people in public office, they are still legislating the same way that the bigoted or racist white person would uh, legislate uh, in, in this city. So they always talk about the black caucus. I've said we don't have a black caucus. We have a black carcass. Uh, so we've never really had a black caucus in the city of Chicago. So um, and to your point, yes, it is definitely uh, a disparity. Now, with relations or, uh, with, with, with regard to the uh, speed cameras and and white folks being upset about it and black folks being upset about it. But for a white person to get a ticket, uh, it's like a mosquito bite. For a black person to get a ticket, it's like a budget crisis. 
All right. How am I going to pay it? Where am I going to get the money for it? The white person gets the ticket. You know, they say a little curse word and they write the check. Ah, okay. And curse the city out and go about their, their merry way. Uh, the black person on average, for the most part, doesn't have that, <clears throat> that luxury. Uh, so yes. And legislation, in my opinion, and probably more than not, when they do these things, they say, who are, who are the people that will be the less resistant, who will be able to push back less than the others? White people generally have more money, earn more money. Black people, for the most part, do not. The black people can't get up and move, right? Don't have that, that kind of option. So the only thing that they can really do about it ah, is complain about it. But we don't want to do that to people who have some social economic strength because they will give us uh, the road out of here. Well, I, I'm going to, again, push back a little bit of what you said. I agree with most of it. Uh, black people can pick up and move. They have picked up and move in great numbers over this uh, uh, century. Uh, but, uh, I don't think the city, the people who run the city of Chicago see that as a problem. If you follow what I just said, Mark Wallace. Yeah, I do. I follow it exactly. And I believe that, that, that there are some people who want for black people to move because they can lower the, uh, uh, the voting count. Right. Uh, and, uh, continue to do the things that they want to do that are politically and economically expedient to their desires. Uh, who don't really care to see black people. Um, so I uh, believe that now what I will say is the people who have moved largely out of this city that are black have been forced to move because they could not economically make it here. But people who have, you know, um, decent jobs, but they're still overtaxed. They don't really have that luxury because they can't give up their careers. They've worked for 15, 20 years and they got a few years ago before they retire, but they're still being, you know, inequitably treated. So yes. Uh, but this is a problem in our legislation, legislature bodies, legislative bodies that you have black people in and white people. And you have black people who are voting against their own constituents in this last thing with the speed camera issue. And again, it is not that we are asking to raise the speed limit or even raise the threshold. We were saying, put it back where it was. We weren't saying to raise it, but they are, they are using and parsing words to make it seem like, oh, these people want us to have people racing down the street faster. We never said that. We're just saying, put it back where it was. And then they're saying, well, if we put it back where it was, we're going to have to give up safe passage or crossing guards. Well, you didn't have to give up the safe passage and crossing guards last year and the year before and the year before when it was at 10 miles an hour before somebody is ticketed. Yeah, no, I know. I know the games they play. All right, let's get into the games they play. Let's do a little uh, <clears throat> a deep dive. We sort of laid out the general issues there. Uh, so. Uh, 
uh, those who've listened to my show regularly know that uh, the leader in the city council uh, of the effort to uh, may bring back the threshold to 10 miles an hour over the speed limit is Anthony Beale, as I said, an alderman from the ninth ward, uh, who, uh, in the, I just have to point this out, in the days of Richard M. Daly uh, and uh, Rahm Emanuel was a loyalist. Uh, and I, I'm just going to put this out there, Mark. Uh, whenever I look for some allies in the fight uh, for uh, equity and how we disperse economic development dollars, I did not find it from Anthony Beal in the Ninth Ward. I just must be honest and put that out there, okay? So, but, you know, I always welcome uh, uh, late-in-life conversions, and apparently he uh, has had a late-in-life conversion on the issue of equity when it comes to uh, these speed light cameras. I'm looking forward to him to join the crusade when it comes to inequity in the economic development program, which is called the TIF program, uh, Anthony Peel. So I am welcoming you. Uh, this will be your like uh, a first step. Okay. And you too, Raylo in the 15th ward, you guys both voted for Lincoln yards, but you know what? That's then now or now, because I see you've gotten religion on this subject, but you woke up and you realized how unfair Chicago is and it's better late than never. Uh, so he did a good job, in my humble opinion, uh, presenting his case, presenting his argument. He had 16 votes lined up, pro votes for him, over 15 of the mayor coming out of the finance committee. It looked for certain like the mayor was going to go down to her feet. Uh, and then why don't you take it from there, uh, Mark Wallace, the games that mayors play to win wow. in the go. Yeah, well, see, what, what the mayor did is she started twisting arms and uh, calling people names, and I'm sure she used her bully pulpit to call people to say, you know, uh, we need this, and I need you to do this, and uh, if you don't do this, then you won't get that. Uh, so, and she, she scared people to death uh, and put them on uh, and told them, listen, you're on a plantation, and you got to act like you're on a plantation. Uh, now, you're in a position, but uh, you're a plantation uh, legislator. Don't forget it. Um, and they function just that way. Emma Mitz, um, who has to be on a plantation because I don't think that she has a fourth grade or fifth grade reading level. I'm not sure. Um, and Jason Irvin and um, Walter Burnett and... Uh, Michelle Harris um, and Stephanie Coleman. She has these people who have no ability to be independent. Plus the fact none of these people, none of them could earn the types of salary that they're earning in the private sector. None of them. So they're there to preserve a paycheck, mm -hmm. not to do a service for the people who has elected them. That's uh, what that was all about. And that is how the mayor used her office to bully them to support what she wants. Now, they passed an ordinance, and you may not know this, they just passed an ordinance that now says that they can use revenue from photo enforcement of red light cameras and speed cameras to fund the police pensions. So maybe that's what this was about from the get-go. We need to increase the revenue so that we can have that new money to go into the police pension to help fund the police pension and we can still 
do uh, what we need to do. So uh, that's what that's all about. But on the backs of people who get not much services from, um, you know, the police department, and we need a police department. I'm in favor of the police department. We just need a better one. Um, and so uh, that, that's what Mayor Lightfoot did to make those people uh, vote for her. There were only four black aldermen that voted with Anthony Bill. The rest of those black aldermen voted with the mayor against their community. How do you, how do you, I don't know how you make sense of that. They said to their community, I know that you're being uh, taxed and I'm going to make sure that you're being taxed and I'm going to make sure that you're being disadvantaged and we're going to take even more than the half a billion dollars that we've already taken from the hardest hit people because we want and need the money and because we can do it. Well, uh, in addition to uh, the uh, black aldermen who voted for the mayor, uh, Northside aldermen uh, who are generally of the liberal or progressive persuasion uh, voted for the mayor, uh, with the mayor on this one. And I believe, and get your thoughts on this, uh, had a large uh, uh, influence was what I call the bicycling community, a very enthusiastic community of bicyclers, most of whom apparently uh, live on like the north side or the northwest side of Chicago, uh, and uh, very concerned about traffic fatalities, obviously, and bicycling safety. uh, And so they favor trying to be doing whatever you can to reduce uh, the uh, speed that uh, truck cars are going. Uh, and so when I look at the, some of these names of people who, who either uh, did not vote in the case of uh, Carlos Ramirez Rosa uh, are voted with the mayor, like uh, Matt Martin at a 47th ward, just going down the list, uh, Harry Osterman at a 48th ward, Andre Vasquez at a 40th ward. Uh, they all voted with the mayor on this one. My guess is they were feeling pressure from the bicyclist community uh, in the city of Chicago. So once again, it's kind of a split division in in Chicago. Uh, my beloved left of center or liberal types. Uh, you know, there's the bicyclist community, and then there's like the, <laughs> the fairness and equity community. And somehow or other, in my entire life here in the city of Chicago, uh, it's very rare that these two forces come together, Mark Wallace. Well, look, last, last, last month, uh, I actually was standing in line at 8.30 in the morning to sign up for public comments at last month's city council meeting. I was standing there with uh, the leader of the bicyclist community. Uh, his last name is Myers, um, Seth Myers or something like that. And uh, I was really trying to educate him that, hey, you and I want the same things, but we need to demand that the city does constructive uh, things that bring about uh, safer traveling roads for pedestrians and cyclists, not these placebo uh, fraud ideas. And uh, but that group, imagine this, that group, 13 of them got in front of, or on the side of City Hall between the old Thompson Center and City Hall, got off their bikes and laid down in the middle of the streets. 13 of them. No police, no permit. They just did it and, and held up traffic. And not a single one of them were arrested. 
Now, imagine if that were 13 black folks that laid down in the middle of the streets um, between City Hall and the Thompson Center, there would have been a different result. What happened? They ended up getting interviewed on all of the major networks, local networks, um, talking about their issue. And they, the city, this month, passed an ordinance to make sure that they have more protected bike lanes. That's how fast they were able to get something done for the bicyclists. So uh, those two groups lining up uh, uh, with each other, uh, I'm not really uh, surprised at that. The, the bicyclist community obviously has strength. But again, they're largely white people on the north side that have some means, right? They have some means. Most of them have pretty decent uh uh, uh, jobs. And again, I don't think that the mayor would want to go after um, or against the bicyclist community on the north side of Chicago because she would pay a heavier price with them than she believes going after people on the south and west sides of Chicago, that she has a better chance of, of, of going against them than she does going against the largely white populated people on the north side yeah those are dynamics that have existed a long time and i used to uh, tweak and tease the bicycling community in chicago during the days of richard m davis uh long before i knew you mark because uh, he would do these he was an enthusiast bicycling enthusiast he used to like go for long bike rides uh so he would have bike to work days and all these promotional things and the bicyclists were like man they were eating out of his hand i'm like hey what, what about Police torture. Hey, <laughs> I've been always on the outside. What about the TIF program? Hey, you know, it's closing school. Hey, bud, come on. You know, can't you be positive for once in your life? Mm-hmm. So I, I, I know the bicycling community, uh, man, they used to have this thing like close down Lakeshore Drive. I don't know if you remember that one. I don't know if they did Yeah, I do. I do. I remember close down Lakeshore Drive. And then every summer they have this, uh, midnight ride where you have yeah. 10,000 bikers. Now I must yeah. admit, I must admit that I have ridden in, uh, I think maybe three or four of those midnight rides. I enjoyed them where it's a 22 half mile, uh, hike around the city that we have police escorts and, uh, we got a park on the North side that you get off and you get uh, Gatorade and, you know, uh, water and all kinds of treats. And then you get back on and you go back down to, um, uh, uh, what is that grant park? And then you get McDonald's breakfast. Uh, <laughs> I just, you know, I, I, I enjoyed that. <laughs> you know, I mean, I did it once. I did it once. So do I, I, I just, the mentality where if you get a nice thing, like, I'm not hating on closing the drive and uh, the bike thing. I'm just saying the mentality that you trade it all in. You know what I'm saying? Well, the thing is, it's like, whoa, it's Chicago. Yeah, but, but the thing has been is that I'm not mad at the bicyclists, and I'm not mad at the city for doing things on the north side for bicyclists because they have a lot of bicyclists. A lot of people ride bicycles on the north side. What I don't like is, is that you're trying to make the south side function and look like the north side when in fact it does not we don't need bike lanes down industrial streets like 
uh, South Chicago Avenue where you've reduced the lanes down to two lanes and you have bike lanes that nobody uses, right? Because we don't have bicyclists like that on the South Side. Some private groups spent, I think, uh, $10 million building this bike thing uh, out on the Southeast Side. That's all grown over now. because they were going to have this supposed to have this racing thing out there. It's, it's um, it makes no sense. Those things make sense on the North side because a lot of people ride bikes. So you should do things that are conducive to uh, bicyclists on the North side, as well as uh, pedestrians, but don't try to make the South side that way because you got a bunch of people on the North side that ride bikes. They, they got a lot more money on the North side. So, you know, people are a little more, a little more relaxed, to ride a bike on the north side. On the south side, you know, I, I always tease. And I say that I want to walk out my door and I want to see some black women walking down the street with strollers, talking to their, their girlfriends with coffee cups in their hand, trying to plan the next birthday party that they're going to take to their kids. Most of the black women that I see walking down the street have frowns on their faces or stress on their faces trying to figure out how they're going to feed their kids. Uh, on the south and west sides of Chicago. So that's the day that I'm looking forward to. I hear you remind me of, uh, I'm going to give a shout out to a good friend of the show, Mark Sims. I know you're listening. Uh, Comes on the show, a podcaster himself. Uh, So we have, uh, as you've probably figured out, Mark, I love talking on the telephone. And uh, so Mark and I have had these long conversations and he'll hear traffic in the background uh, and he'll go, what are you doing? I go, well, I'm walking. I'm going through, I go every day. I go for a walk and he always makes fun of me. Oh, I don't, nobody goes for a walk in my neighborhood. You're going to get shot. <laughs> oh, excuse me. I say, well, and then he acts like he didn't go for a walk cause he's afraid of crime. I go, you're just lazy. Come, drive up to my neighborhood. Come walk with me. We don't have to talk on the phone. Oh, my back. I come on, Mark, you know, I'm telling the truth. No, you're telling but, but no, there's a truth to it. I, you know, people, don't like to talk about the truth in open public. I like to talk about the truth that we talk about in private. Um, but the truth is, is that you don't go for a walk on, on the south and west side of Chicago because it doesn't feel comfortable. You feel differently when you're on the north side of Chicago. You feel it. As soon as you are on the north side of Chicago, there is a different feeling. You feel safer. You feel like it's okay to walk. You feel like you want to walk. Uh, on the north side of Chicago, on the south side and the west side, you you want to have that feeling, but the reality is just different. It's just different. Mark, you look really fit. So how do you get in shape? Well, you know, I try to exercise a lot. Uh, I work out probably four or five times a week in the gym. Uh, I do seventy five push ups every day, and uh, I do a lot of walking. And uh, I'm a tennis player, uh, so I've been playing tennis since I was nine years old. Actually, I started playing tennis as a protest. We can have that conversation later. Um, but um, Wait, so, where do you play tennis? Do you, where, where's your court of choice? I play now at the XS Tennis Village, yeah. which is a new one that was built by um, uh, Kamal Leonard, uh, whose father is a you know circuit court judge. Uh, that he built this tennis village out on uh, 53rd and State. Yeah, Last no year, he had his very first major or very first um, professional tournament uh, for which uh, Venus Williams played. Okay. Uh, and 
I, I'll avoid going down that tangent because I can talk about that facility, you know, but I'm gonna, uh, I don't want to go down uh, that road. Uh, so, all right, before I conclude uh, and move on to, to a brief conversation with Trump about Trump, because uh, I got to get this off my chest. Uh, what's next? Uh, you lost uh, at this vote yesterday. Uh, so is that it? Or are you going to try other ways to have more equity? Uh, when it comes to uh, these uh, speed light cameras, well, absolutely, uh, it, because it's it's bigger than just the speed cameras, bigger than the uh, the uh, red light cameras. Um, so we have a couple of lawsuits that are in place that uh, we are fighting. Uh, one in um, uh, Crestwood, and we have one in uh, Stone Park that we're appealing a, a decision on. Uh, and there's also one in the city of Chicago that. Uh, uh, we're also fighting, as well as we have a bill with uh, State Senator Matty Hunter to do a statewide ban on photo enforcement of red light cameras and speed cameras in, in the state. Uh, and we're going to continue to fight, as well as we're going to target uh, those aldermen who voted against their community in the February 28th election. So uh, the fight is far from over, and they are far from safe. Well, that'll be interesting to watch how that one unfolds because uh, I can tell you with certainty from uh, having interviewed many aldermanic candidates, uh, it is a, uh, a potent issue with black voters. So it will be interesting to see the fallout if there is any uh, come February. All right, let's close with a little Trump talk. I sent you this article. It blows my mind. I know I've been talking local issues, and in many ways, uh, I find local issues a diversion. Uh, a mark from the fascistic, and this is me speaking, not you, what I think is a takeover attempt that we're living through in our country right now. And this was an article that was in the New York Times today. It wasn't even on the front page. <laughs> this article that I shared with Mark Wallace wasn't even on the front page, ladies and gentlemen. It was like buried. I forget which page it was buried in, but it was like not relevant enough to make the front page. And it was an article about how Donald John Trump, yes, that Donald John Trump called Robin Voss, who is the leader of the assembly in Wisconsin. So think about this, ladies and gentlemen, Wisconsin's a state who's uh, uh General Assembly, House of Representatives, controlled by Republicans. So Robin Voss is sort of like the Michael Madigan. Okay, Illinois residents, I'm going to help you out with this one. He's like the Michael Madigan of Wisconsin, only he's a Republican. Okay, so he's got, he's mastered, you know, all the, the uh, Ro Robert's rules of orders. He knows how to use the parliamentary procedure to stifle his opposition, cut him off at the knees, just like Mad Dog did here in the state of Illinois, only Voss does it for Republicans. OK, so you Republicans out there who think that their only boss is Michael Madigan, go look at Wisconsin, Robin Voss. Uh, anyway, Donald Trump, in the midst of the congressional hearings uh, into his failed coup on January 6th, is so arrogant and contemptuous of the law, Mark Wells. You talk about the bicyclists who sat down in the middle of the street outside of City Hall and then were like, oh, ushered hey you want to ride home or whatever just teasing who were treated with kid gloves what about donald trump in the midst of all these investigations and lawsuits he calls voss and asks voss to try to engineer a process where they could bring in different set of electors in wisconsin this is two years after the election mark wallace this man is so contemptuous of the laws that govern our country, of the law enforcement people who are trying to what? 
protects some semblance of democracy that he just calls the most powerful man in the Republican Party uh, in Wisconsin. It'd be the equivalent somehow or other, ladies and gentlemen, if John Kerry in 19, excuse me, 2004 called Michael Madigan a year, two years after the election and said, hey, son, do what you can to get a elector. Well, he won the state, but you get the point, like to flip the election my way. Mark Wallace, help me with this. Is Does Donald Trump know something that we don't know, though, that he is just so arrogant and contemptuous of law enforcement? No, this is the law and order guy. Remember, he talks about law and order, but he wants his own law and order. This is Putinist uh, behavior. He believes in it. He went uh, to Russia. He traveled to uh, China, and when he came back to the States, all he could talk about is he wanted to have his own parade down our own streets, um, and he wanted to be like, um, you know, those tyrants. And that is what he is doing, and he is basically sticking his thumb into the eyeballs of the United States of America and say, bring it on. Come and get me. I am going to blow it up, and I'm going to keep my foot on the pedal, on the gas, and I'm going to gaslight it, and I'm going to blow it up, and I'm going to become the dictator because I've got the support uh, behind me to do it. He believes in his head um, that he can do it. He does not care about uh, the structure or the system for which the United States has. He wants to blow it up. That is why he's doing what he's doing, and he's saying to the United States, Come and get me. Stop me from doing it. Wow. And uh, do you think he'll have uh, any, there will be any repercussions for him for having made that phone call? I mean, again, it's buried in the back pages of the paper. So it's hardly like anybody's paying attention. Uh, Do you think there'll be any repercussions for him? This is, again, in the midst of a a congressional investigation into his overreach and his back in January and December, December 2020 and January 2020. Uh, 21. Do you think there'll be any consequence whatsoever for him? Well, I believe that there will be consequences for him. If there are no consequences for him, then we don't have a democracy and we've lost. Um, we've lost our justice system. Mm-hmm. We've lost it to a tyrannical, evil person. Uh, if there are no consequences to what he has done, I believe that this guy is going for broke. I believe it's going to come back to uh, bite him. Uh, I believe that Merrick Garland will have no choice uh, and a very strong case to put the first sitting president or former sitting president uh, in prison, um, deservedly so, uh, for what he has done. Now, whether he will actually go to prison or not, I don't know. I think that he will actually be indicted. I think he'll be charged. I think he'll be tried. And I think he'll be convicted. What the penalty is, I have no idea. Uh, what the penalty is for uh, and how you incarcerate a former sitting president. But yes, there has to be consequences. There must be consequences for what Donald Trump has done, because if it is not, we now have no real democracy whatsoever. I, uh, I'm going to throw to you uh, the theory of uh, a mutual friend of ours. You know, well, Monroe Anderson comes on. He was just on the show yesterday. He said this, and I'm paraphrasing, uh, that what Donald Trump is uh, doing is trying to avoid prosecution. Uh, And so 
what you just laid out where Merrick Garland uh, finally uh, wakes up, uh, <laughs> getting back to the opening line about the extremists of both parties, <laughs> voter in New York, the Democrats don't even prosecute lawlessness. They're so afraid. Uh, right. But anyway, whoever wakes up and, and does a prosecution, uh, by then Donald Trump will probably be running for president again with the notion, Mark Wallace, that if he is elected president in 2024, that will essentially nullify whatever prosecution is against him. He can start firing prosecutors and hiring his own. Uh, so that's Monroe's theory. And I think Monroe is absolutely correct that in Donald Trump's mind, he could beat the rap by getting reelected. And so he's just put his pedal to the floor uh, to mix all the metaphors up from our conversation. And it's just continuing with the same. Do you buy a Monroe's theory? No, I believe that that's why he tried to overthrow the election uh, so that he could stay in power so that he could not be investigated or not be uh, um, held accountable criminally for his past actions. I, I, I believe that he believes that in his mind uh, that he could do that. But I believe that he's also committed some crimes uh, after his presidency and you know, during his presidency that will not absolve him from being prosecuted. Um, so I, but I believe that he's going to be indicted before the election even takes place. Um, he can announce all he wants to. And I don't believe that just because you announce that you're going to run for president, that that absolves you from being held accountable for any of your actions. If that were the case, a whole bunch of us would be announcing that we're running for president, um, you know, uh, in that case. But I don't think that he can escape this. Uh, Merrick Garland said that anybody who had anything to do with uh, the uh, attempt to overthrow the election must be held accountable. Now, he didn't say his name, but that certainly includes the president of the United States. The president of the United States is not exempt from following the law. If that is the case, then Richard Nixon should never have left office uh, and, and, and never have been uh, impeached. So, uh, but Donald Trump absolutely has, um, I think on steroids, on steroids done, I don't know of anybody in, in history who has behaved as bad as Donald Trump has behaved uh, as president. Even Andrew Jackson, who, um, you know, has a pretty scarred history, right? I don't even think that his conduct um, could come anywhere close to what Donald Trump is doing, not was doing, but is doing. And to answer your question, I believe tonight in the prime time, I'm going to wager that Liz Cheney is going to bring up that article and what Donald Trump did to the assemblyman in Wisconsin. So in other words, she won't allow it to be buried. That, that's yeah, happening no. probably while we're doing this uh, interview and this conversation. So tomorrow I could rectify, I could go on and say, yes, uh, Mark Wallace was correct. Uh, but that would be happening right now or later today. You're, that's your prediction. And, and, and prime time today, that's going to be happening. Got it. Okay. Well, we will see. I hope you're correct. Uh, I'm still stunned uh, that I'm having so much appreciation for a politician named Cheney. Uh, I'm going to uh, close the conversation. Well, now. Oh, can I, can I speak to that? Uh, Go ahead. Yeah. To the lady that you were talking about before talking about the third party, or is that something we're going to talk about? No, no, go ahead. You, you, so, you get the... so, 
Well, the lady was talking about that Liz Cheney and, and Adam Kinzinger yeah. um, establishing a third party. I would not vote for Liz Cheney. I would not vote for Adam Kinzinger. I think that they're doing their American duty to protect democracy. I don't agree with them politically uh, on their political philosophy. I agree a thousand percent and I would be stand with them a thousand percent that they should be doing what they're doing, fighting for our democratic process to be protected. Yeah, I'm with you 100 percent on what you just said, and that's why whenever I read a letter like that, and the, and the writer goes, "Well, I'm a lifelong Democrat," and I'm like, mm, "No, you're not. <laughs> you know, uh-uh. no, you're not, because no, no Democrat, no, no real Democrat, would say I want to vote for Liz Cheney uh, over my Democratic Congressperson. You may love, you may want to donate money to Liz Cheney so she could defeat the MAGA person running against her. You want to shake her hand. You may want to shake her hand when you see her in an airport or something. Go, God bless you. Thank you for standing up to Trump. But I'm with, I know what you're saying, Mark. You're not going to vote for her. It, but that's not even the issue. The issue is, right. you know, you respect somebody who takes the tough stand. And like somebody who takes a tough stand for what they believe in inequity with parking tickets or, or speed light tickets, just to tie everything together. Uh, Anyway, all right, very good. Uh, I am what I was going to say. We're going to close it down today, and maybe in another time uh, we'll have a discussion as to whether uh, Andrew Jackson is uh, <laughs> Trump is worse than Andrew Jackson. I vehemently disagree with you on that point, but okay. I think it's much like uh, follow me on this. So uh, I don't know if you're a baseball fan, but uh, so there's baseball players who played before 1947, before baseball was integrated, and then there's baseball players who played after uh, baseball was integrated in 1947. Two separate sets of standards. So I hold off on talking about how great baseball players were before Jackie Robinson. Do you follow what I'm saying? So yeah. similarly, there's American history before the Civil War, and then there's American history after the Civil War. So you got I mean... <laughs> It's like, I don't know, is Donald Trump as bad as a slave owner? God, you know, that, that, I got to think about that one. Um, <laughs> well, you know, I, I wasn't talking about it in totality. Okay, all right. I can let you go totality. Uh, all right, Mark Wallace, again, thank you very much for taking the time. Again, my condolences to you and your family. Thank you. Uh, and look forward to more conversations with you on all the issues of the day, all right? All right, thank you very much for having me. All right, that's Mark Wallace. I uh, also want to thank the man, the myth, the legend, the pride of joy of all in Illinois, without whom the show would be possible. And as Mark Wallace and Alderman Anthony B.O. will tell you, back home on Alton, they call him Dr. D, and the D stands for Demarvelous. Give yourself a raise, take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow, everybody. Mm-hmm.